Class 11, Inside the CIA's First Post-9-11 Spy Class, by T.J. Waters, narrated by Patrick Lawler, copyright 2006 by T.J. Waters. This unabridged audiobook is published by arrangement with T.J. Waters and Dutton, a member of Penguin Group USA Incorporated, and was produced in the year 2006 by Tantor Media Incorporated, which holds the copyright thereto. Introduction Three large U.S. government buses sit in the parking lot of an otherwise empty strip mall outside Roslyn, Virginia. It's 5.30 on a cold Thursday morning in November. Students arrive one by one, half awake, with their coffee or diet cola in hand. I pull my suitcase out of the trunk and pat myself down one last time. We are conducting this exercise in alias. I can't have anything in my pockets that reveals my true name. Experienced interrogators will strive to break down our cover identities, family histories, and jobs. If anyone learns my true name, it means arrest. Handcuffs. Jail. Satisfied I'm not carrying anything that can expose me, I board the bus and sit down next to a fellow student named Jay. We engage in a little nervous chatter, trying to forget about the approaching drill. Our conversation turns to the sweeping changes in the intelligence community over the past five months. Al-Qaeda, an enemy unlike any this country has ever known, is still trying to kill as many Americans as possible. Dawn breaks as the bus pulls away to take us to the interrogation site. Reflecting on the moment, Jay looks out the window and with characteristic understatement notes, It's no longer a gentleman's game. It most certainly isn't. The trade of espionage is no longer professional intelligence officers working against one another in a practiced and civilized manner. The old methods for recruiting foreign nationals during diplomatic parties are now part of Cold War history. Terrorists aren't on the diplomatic circuit. They quietly toil in towns and villages, away from the capital cities where the United States maintains an official presence. Commercial cover operations, paramilitary action, and covert influence programs have replaced embassy parties. Unfortunately, there's a shortage of qualified field officers to do the work. That's where we come in. We are the CIA's clandestine service training program, Class 11. We are the volunteers who entered the CIA after the September 11 attacks, the largest training class in CIA history. The exercise we are conducting today is only the beginning, a peek into the main instruction conducted at the agency's legendary training facility in central Virginia, commonly known as The Farm. This isn't a story about tuxedos, martinis, or fancy gadgets. This is the real world of espionage. But it isn't exclusively about tradecraft. It's about people. A group of people who took dramatic turns from career and family to answer a nation's call. This is our story. Preface. Every 20 years or so, an unimaginable tragedy befalls our nation. Beautiful, sunny days are suddenly and irrevocably tainted. In every instance, People never forget where they were standing when they learned the terrible news. Witnessing these events makes them even more horrific. The invention of television brought terror to our living rooms in heretofore unthinkable ways. Pearl Harbor in 1941, 
Kennedy's assassination in 1963, the explosion of the space shuttle Challenger in 1986. On September 11, 2001, I was at home packing for a business trip that afternoon to Montreal. I was watching live when the second plane, United Airlines Flight 175, struck the South Tower of the World Trade Center. Like many people, I thought I was watching the first plane being played back on tape. Only after an off-screen engineer corrected the news anchor, saying the images were live, did the full scope of the event begin to dawn on me. Or on any of us. Al-Qaeda succeeded where emperors, dictators, and tyrants failed. It attacked the mainland United States, successfully striking multiple targets in broad daylight. Evading law enforcement and military defenses, it conducted the ultimate sneak attack. It was, for most Americans, completely inconceivable. I contacted the CIA a week after the attacks. I'd been recruited several years earlier and still held a top-level clearance. I sat down for a serious discussion with my girlfriend, Kathy. Though I had not yet proposed, I'd already purchased the ring and was just waiting for the perfect moment. How would this affect us? I wasn't willing to go unless she was fully on board. She didn't hesitate. With her support, we entered a phase of our relationship neither of us truly understood. I bent down on one knee at a quiet little restaurant in North Tampa, promising her a life unlike anything she could imagine. More than 150,000 people applied to the Central Intelligence Agency in the weeks following the attacks. The agency typically accepts less than one-tenth of one percent of the applications received. After September 11, the CIA brought in retirees and reassigned existing staff from other offices to handle the incredible mountain of applicants. Highly skilled, highly motivated professionals were applying by the thousands. But these weren't 20-year-olds without appreciable skills. These were lawyers, consultants, investment bankers, scientists, and a myriad of other professionals. Not just witnesses to the terror in New York City or Washington, D.C., the applicants came from military bases in Georgia, law firms in Texas, and software companies in California. From sea to shining sea, resumes poured in asking one simple question. What can I do? Terrorism was no longer something that happened elsewhere. It now had a local face, a local presence. Kathy and I were strolling through a local mall one Saturday night when her father called wanting to know if we were okay. A local teenager had stolen a plane and slammed it into the Bank of America building, the tallest structure in downtown Tampa. Police found a note stating his support for Osama bin Laden and the attacks of 9-11, but found no direct link to Al-Qaeda. This copycat attack was neither supporting radical Islam nor protesting U.S. policy in the Middle East. He was simply a lonely young man who had lost his way. This incident made us ask ourselves a lot of questions. How many more such young people are out there? How many like him had we known at that age? What other threats to our national security and the safety of our own hometown awaited us? This fortunately isolated incident served to underscore our commitment to the career, family, and life choice we have since made. Normal processing time to enter the clandestine service is about 18 months. After September 11, that processing time was shortened to just over six. 
In this abbreviated period, a class was selected, approved, notified, and relocated to the Washington, D.C. area. The logistics involved were staggering. Each student was required to complete a battery of exams and approvals. Each was interviewed repeatedly, by phone and in person, by a number of different staff officers. They explained why they wanted to join the agency and what they expected to offer. What work did they feel most suited for? The information gathered was evaluated, along with a security investigation conducted by an outside agency. Any discrepancies or incomplete information was thoroughly evaluated before the process moved forward. Each applicant underwent a rigorous medical examination. Unlike military exams, agency medical evaluations were not open for discussion. Those who did not pass were not advised of the condition or circumstance that caused the failure. They were simply declared medically unfit and removed from further consideration. Those who continued processing were moved through the medical office's mental evaluation procedures. A variety of psychological instruments were administered and strenuously analyzed. While test results were never directly shared with the applicant, separate sessions with psychologists and psychiatrists polished any rough edges identified by the exams and weeded out another group of applicants. Finally, there were the infamous polygraph exams. Few parts of the entry procedures for the clandestine service are as legendary as the so-called lie detector. The examination doesn't exactly test for lies. It measures psychological changes in an applicant's breathing, heart rate, and galvanic skin conductivity as they respond to questions from the examiner. The value is not in the test itself. It's in the professional utilizing it. As many applicants soon learn, agency polygraph examiners are experienced, and they've heard it all. The applicants who made it through these hoops had arrived at a pivotal date, their conditional offer of employment pending.